Hey Matt. Peter. Happy late Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> It was weirdly quiet on this side of the pond when you have so much to do with Americans and they're all just like check out for like four days or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know when it happened and this is probably just maybe this is just me to some extent but th I feel like Thanksgiving has become all the holidays have gotten larger and wider and Thanksgiving is now a full week. <laughs> yeah. I saw Thanksgiving being pushed a little bit, just a little bit here in uh, in the UK as well, which was kind of weird because uh, it's, I mean, it's very much an American thing. Um, but like there were some restaurants, restaurants that had like Thanksgiving dinners. I don't know. Maybe it was because there are a lot of Americans here. Right, right. It'd be kind of weird if they tried to like push that on <laughs> you know, yeah. Scottish people. Yeah. Fourth of July is next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, so the kids were off at of school the whole week, and uh, spoiler spoiler alert, I got almost nothing done uh, work wise, but it felt good in that sense. Like it was, yeah, yeah, it was very quiet. Even Stripe apparently doesn't answer email <laughs> <laughs> on the week of Thanksgiving because they were just like been ignoring my emails all week, which is uh, kind of disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, w w working through some pretty critical issues for you. Yeah, I might just like talk about that right now because there's a few things I want to clarify about that. Um, mm -hmm. After last episode, um, in our last episode, I mentioned that you're not allowed to have two Stripe accounts for the, for the same company inside Stripe. Um, because that's what they told me and that's what I have in like several emails from them. Um, but after the after our episode, Derek Reimer reached out to me and he was like, hey, I just listened to your episode and it kind of confused me a little bit because I have to, I think he had two um, accounts for his company mm. and he sent me a link to their documentation that describes how you can have two <laughs> different accounts oh. under the same company and where it also says that If you have two different businesses or like lines of businesses, I don't remember the word they used. You actually have to have two different accounts. Like you shouldn't, like they say in their terms that you shouldn't mix like different businesses in one account. Oh, and I was like, oh, that's really weird. And I sent him the emails I had from Stripe saying basically the opposite and how it, that was a business decision from them. And we were just very confused. Mm -hmm. um, and I found an older email I had from them from like almost a year ago right, when I started setting all this up. And basically what they said back then, this was an, another uh, support person. What they said back then is this is specifically if you're using Stripe Atlas and you're not an American citizen oh, or not a citizen, like a resident, I guess. So if you, if you, if you as like a private person are entitled to set up a Stripe account, a US Stripe account, you can do as many as you want. But because I'm using Stripe Atlas, I'm not really like the only reason I can have a US uh, Stripe account is because I'm using Stripe Atlas. Okay. Um, it's still really weird because like the whole idea of Stripe, Stripe Atlas is that basically they, they make sure that you check all the boxes to have a US mm -hmm. uh, Stripe account. But then apparently you have to, it depends on where you read in their terms, right? Because you can't, It's like impossible to check all the boxes because hmm. one place it says that you have to have separate accounts and another place it says that you can't. So it's like, unless you set up subsidiaries, uh, yeah. you can't really do it. Um, so it, unfortunately, 
uh, it didn't really help me. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to clarify that because I think a, a few people reached out to me actually and they freaked out <laughs> after what I told them. <laughs> you were, they thought you were breaking some bad news. Yeah. And the deadline I have is also related to some legal stuff and like some like stuff around my account where they need basically um, documentation for me. Okay. Um, okay. So, so overall, yeah. how's it going? I have no idea because they've been ignoring my emails for more than a week. <laughs> it's extremely strange, uh, but apparently yeah. uh, they're just shut down the whole company over Thanksgiving. Yeah, people are still gonna they're still gonna collect their merchant fees. So you know why work? Why work? <laughs> well, I too probably hard. did on Black Friday. Maybe they were busy <laughs> yeah. with more urgent problems. Pro- maybe, maybe I've heard it's a big deal, and today also a pretty big deal. Yeah, but like maybe they don't give people a deadline that says November thirtieth. <laughs> yeah fair that is fair so the deadline has woo, gone by yeah and, and uh here we are we're waiting to see mm. what's gonna happen interesting I'm still in business <laughs> barely it's good no repercussions have fallen upon you yeah should i just like basically go into my update sounds like we are started sure yeah <laughs> um yeah w pusher um I haven't talked about WP Pusher too much, but it's very much on my mind right now because of all the Stripe stuff. Um, it's sort of weird because I, I don't really do any active work on WP Pusher, uh, except like if there's a bug, I try to fix that, of course, and I do the support if there's if people have questions. Mm-hmm. Um, November is usually a pretty good month for the product, but this year, man, it's just been a downer. It's it's the second worst month or the second lowest volume month of the whole year. Hmm. And last year was like the second best month. Uh, so it makes me freak out a little bit. It's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, but I don't know. I think overall for the year, I'm still up like probably 10 to 15% compared to last year. Okay. So it's not yeah. like overall the revenue is not declining, which is the most important thing for me right now that doesn't decline too much because it's a very like important piece of my runway. Sure. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'm actually going to do a lot more talking to my WP Pusher customers. Um, I talked with Einer about this on my last um, check-in with him. And um, we talked about how we think it's time for me to basically go to the, basically the WP Pusher power users and talk to them about branch um, and see if branch is in a, place now where they it would make sense for them to switch over to that instead yeah which would be nice but even if they don't want to do that it's still like an opportunity for me to learn like basically what's missing or right yeah yeah i mean it stands a reason that some of them should be very good branch users and then eventually customers yeah, yeah. exactly hmm. i mean there's still and you there haven't is- done you haven't done like a a, a a proactive campaign to those people to say try branch by branch i have like i've sent emails and automated stuff but this is more like go to each of them and do like a very personalized basically manual (laughs) reaching out to them yeah it's a little bit of a why haven't you yeah it's like yeah but there's also like a big difference between the two products the, like, the whole value proposition of WP Pusher is that it's very simple. It's for a simple use case. Um, That's fair. But some agencies just use it for a very high uh, volume. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have agencies using it on hundreds of sites. Um, and for an agency that size, 
range probably would make more sense um, and be a better experience. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's bit, I so guess it's, I'll see yeah. if I can convince them. Hmm. Yeah. It's a bit of a cross sell uh, in that sense. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it would be nice to get a few of those. And I don't know. I think it'd be kind of weird if I couldn't get anyone to switch from WPusher to a branch. Right. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that works out. Hmm. Um, yeah. In general, I've been like kind of stressed out in the past few weeks. Um, so WPusher having a poor month was not helping, but it's not my yeah. biggest worry, of course. Um, like I launched Branch, so what is it, two weeks, three weeks ago now on Twitter, which was very successful. We talked about it here, almost like a viral treat. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is right now, like the feeling I have is people get very excited about Branch, like initially, and they, you know, they, a lot of people share it on Twitter, even like without having tried the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when they hear like about the product, they get excited. Um, and, but the thing is, it hasn't really materialized into a lot of people start starting to use the product, um, which tells me that there's something like there's some value that's not being delivered and, or like there's not a strong enough urge to basically activate yourself and switch for, from whatever workflow you currently have. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I called you last week because I was freaking out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was a good talk. Um, yeah, I appreciated that. Too. It was like yeah. one and a half hours. That was fine. It was, it, was, it was a good good talk. Yeah, so what were the takeaways of that? Well, or how's the last week of thinking gone? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... So basically two takeaways. I was basically trying to convince you that I should work on something much bigger and like do a lot of new stuff, um, which you weren't necessarily against, but like you were also trying to be an adult and telling me that maybe like (laughs) what I should do is talking to people that haven't activated, but like, you know, signed up, but never really got started. Mm. Um, So I did that. I sent out emails last week to everyone who signed up and tried. It basically looked like they they had the intention, you know, to try out the product, but they never really managed to. Either they never ran any builds or they never ran a successful build. Um, and I got a few replies to that, and they're basically all the same. <laughs> it was. It sounds very compelling. Sounds like an awesome product, but either we haven't prioritized, you know, getting started with this yet, or we're like ideally we would wait for our next big project. Um, to come around before we set up this new tool, um, which is just like a, it's a really annoying answer to get. Yeah, it, I, have a, I have a hard time with the second part. Uh, like it made logical sense at first that they would say that, but yeah, if you say it slowly, what are they? They're saying the next time we have a big project where we have to do a bunch of new stuff, which carries with it risk, we're going to try a new way of doing this, like. Would would I mean, it make would it make more sense to maybe learn or modify the way you work when you're not doing a big project? <laughs> like, I mean, that's the whole mom test, right? People are trying to people come up with lies to say the right, like to th- say what they think you want to hear, right? Right. I I think the the missing piece here is basically my conclusion is that right now, like when they see branch, mm-hmm. there's not it's not compelling enough. Like it's not because otherwise they would just do it. They would just switch. If there's something in the product that got them so excited that they couldn't 
like they could never keep doing what they're doing now because they know that this thing exists. Mm-hmm. Um, then they would just do that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So basically um, after our conversation and like a few days of thinking about this and mostly just stressing out um, on Friday when everything was extremely <laughs> quiet because <laughs> everyone was doing Thanksgiving, yep. um, I decided to do a little micro retreat. Uh, so Rob Walling and his wife, Sherry, they've been talking a lot about these kind of retreats um, where you basically go out alone and you sit with your notebook and you try to like <laughs> figure out everything. Um so I decided to take the day off and uh, just basically jump in the car and drive into the mountains for a day and see kind of what, what will come out of it. Nice. Uh, and it was really good. I'm really glad I did it. Um, so I just took off really early in the morning. You know, the car was all icy um, and just like drove out of the city. And then for the first hour or so, like I I couldn't really think about any of the actual things I wanted to think about. Mm-hmm. And the only thing like on my mind was how, thankful is which was cool because it was thanksgiving right (laughs) but how thankful i was that i was you know in a position where i could you know just take a day off and jump in the car and just absolutely go something somewhere really beautiful yeah um and then the next thing i did was i wrote down everything that was stressing me out (laughs) and most of it was like something i could immediately dismiss like the stripe thing was still stressing me out so i wrote that down but it's like is like, can I, is there any thinking I can do here that would, you know, change anything about this? Probably the less creative you are with the solution to that, the better. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Let's, uh, let's not stress about that before, uh, Stripe is like done chewing their dry Turkey or whatever they're doing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So the thing, like I wanted to spend the most time thinking about was the whole, like, what's basically what's wrong right now with branch or like mm-hmm. what's what's the missing piece mm-hmm. um so i had i had some like vague thoughts about this but i tried to keep to not basically decide anything um and i went on like i went on a hike um without my notebook to just like think about whatever and uh, just kind of see see what happened and it just it became very obvious to me basically how I how I view it. Um, there's a few things that right now is making me less excited about Branch um, and that I need to fix. And I think like I'm right now, like after going through all this, I'm pretty excited about fixing. Um, but basically the thing, the things I realized was um, actually before I did this, I also looked over my Q4 uh, plan that we made like a couple of months ago and um, I realized that actually I got quite a lot of that done um, and actually I was a little bit impressed with how much I actually got done in the last two months um, and there's still a, a month left right for all yeah. the stuff I didn't get done um, and like I realized I'm not going to hit all the targets I set um, but I realized also that I'm actually making progress, which was nice. Um, And then the thing was, I went on the hike and I kind of realized a few things. Um, One of the things was basically, I need to delight the users a lot more. Like they need to have a really good experience the first time they log in. And there needs to be something in there that makes them very excited about using the product. Not just like, oh, this is cool, but like, whoa, like I'm going to, 
I'm going to do this when I come, when I get home from work, I'm going to keep working so I can set up this new thing. Cause I know like I can't do it on the job because that's not why, what I get paid to do at this mm. agency where we like count every hour and every minute mm-hmm. and we track every time we go to the toilet or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to do it when I get home. Cause I can't stop. Like, I just really want to try this really awesome tool. Um, so that's one thing I realized that's important. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and then sort of related to that, I also realized that I'm right now, I'm actually not super excited about working on branch, the product. And I realized that probably, so the thing is when you do this lean startup thing, you cut all the corners, right? Essentially that's the whole idea. You use the bootstrap template and framework and stuff. You don't use Tailwind CSS and you use, you know, you just use like the basic Laravel stuff and you don't try to do all sorts of like fancy stuff or whatever new technologies you just use the quickest way to get the thing done that you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of created a lot of legacy for me right now. I think like already branch feels like kind of like a boring legacy application for me to work on. Hmm. And that's not good. Cause I, I need the same thing, right? When I can't stop working at night cause I'm so excited to like work on this new feature or whatever. Yep. And it just, it feels like a chore right now when I have to do stuff in the code base. So kind of like the other thing I realized is I need to like allow myself some time to refactor stuff and experiment with new interesting technologies and basically be excited myself about yeah. working on the product. Yeah. I mean, cause you've been working on it for what a year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it already I, feels like dated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but you've been pretty disciplined about just, you know, not introducing new stuff for the sake of it, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting. Like every time I did something on the product, I was like, okay, what's the fastest way I can do this just to like see if it works? Yeah. And it's just not it's just not that exciting anymore. Yeah. Uh it makes a lot of sense, especially the first one where yeah, if you can't get folks excited, then it really is a I'll get to this when I get to this. There's yeah. no there's no immense, there's no promise of a dopamine hit, no. <laughs> you know, that they're going to get no. by doing this now, then, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it sort of goes back to the, uh, what Paul Graham say, when, what people are, what the cool kids are doing on the weekends is what everyone else is going to be doing on the weekdays in the future. Yeah. yeah so yeah. If, if you, if you can get folks who try out branch to go, I just want to do something with this thing because yeah. it's magical. I think yeah. that's, it's a really great angle to take because yeah. normally you can just shrug your shoulders and say, Oh, I guess it's a vitamin and not a painkiller, you know, oh well. But you could you could also say, Well, what's beyond a vitamin? There's, you know, pleasure and delight and like real you know, excitement, right? Yeah. I mean, it's almost the opposite side of pain. Yeah. It's you know, if there I think what you're saying is look, there's not enough pain, there's not a fire burning for them to to no. put this out. So what are you going to do? I mean, you, you can either try to convince them that there is a fire, which is education and very expensive, or you can say, maybe this is just so great. You're going to want to play with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And with WP pusher, like back in the days, right? People, they, after they tried it out, they tweeted hashtag mind blown and they, they wrote blog posts about WP pusher and they did YouTube videos, tutorials, like 
Justin Jackson made a whole case study and YouTube video thing after he bought the product because he was so excited about it. And that's, I need the same thing with branch. Like I need to build a really, really cool thing that people just can't stop talking about and, you know, be excited about. Yeah. Uh, Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's great. And then you, you, you touch, uh, you touch yeah. on it quickly about education and it's actually next on my list. So education mm. and inspiration as well mm. is something I think I did well with WP Pusher as well that I really, I'm excited about doing for Branch as well. And it's, it's about time because I think that's a missing piece as well. People need to see basically they need to, for me to show them that the grass is actually greener over here. And I think I can do that with with content. And then the thing is, like with the things I've mentioned already, when I look in my Q4 plan, it's the things I haven't done yet, right? It's improving <laughs> the the experience of the product and working on the content platform and all the stuff I actually have in there right now. So, That's, so who says you can't plan three months in advance for a early stage? Like I just kind of like lost track a little bit. It's almost <laughs> how it feels. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. That's great. Well, I mean, you came up with those goals through some deep reflection yeah. in, you know, what, yeah. what was it, September? So it stands to reason that, you know, some deep reflection now, yeah. you're kind of, kind of the same person, same thoughts. Um, <laughs> yeah. You just had to recalibrate. I think the missing piece there was the innovation part. Like, mm. I also, I need to allow some time to think out of the box and not implement a feature I've already, like, imagined, but basically do R&D and and come up with ideas for this. So like one thing I'm working on right now is the whole staging side thing I've been talking about with branches and like my whole like realization I talked about last week. Yeah. Um, And I just need to allow myself time to just sit down and play with that and see if I can build something cool around that. And without like basically, you know, the constraint of, oh, this needs to be a feature in two days because that's what the plan says or whatever, like that I can't say that I'll just have to experiment with it. It's good. Yeah. I mean, you have, you, you have the time and the market's not going away. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I looked, I looked into my financials um, as I sometimes do, especially at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And the thing is like, I'm, I'm not spending a lot of money right now. Um, so I'm, I'm using the tiny seed money to basically sub uh, WP pusher is and the tiny seed money is what pays for branch right now. And WP pusher doesn't pay my whole salary, but it pays more than half my salary. Um, so the rest is just contributed by the tiny seed money. But like when I look, when I, when I look at the numbers right now, I could do this for years um, yeah. without making money. And I don't want to do that. Cause that would also be fooling myself. Like I need this to make money yeah, and, of course. and be successful. Um, but yeah, there's no, reason to stress out too much right now yeah and then it takes time you know yeah and you, you are you are laying groundwork and you're yeah. making progress like you said yeah <laughs> and then i just posted this screenshot in the tiny seed slack that someone signed up four days oh, yeah. ago for branch <laughs> and he's just been he's just been in the product ever since <laughs> the whole time hey i don't know remember how many builds he had but it's a lot and he has a build step and a test step and a deploy step, a deployment step. And it was a really, it was the perfect end of all this to see someone just lock into the product or sign up for the product and just go nuts and just yeah 
yeah, just really like onboard himself. And he had, he had a question over support that I answered. Um, and then he's been on his own and he's been like, I- I'll just see him log into the app at like, you know, two in the morning in his time zone. And, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, I've, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Like it's, it's hard because you want to see more of this. Like the numbers are so small. It's like, you can count them on one or two hands, but yeah. there's not any reason to think that he's the only one or she's the only one no you know like this right so you you really i mean maybe the challenge you have right now in a sense is finding this kind of persona segment user somehow more often like you're 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 coming up against early maybe you're coming up against some mainstream folks who i mean you basically just define like when when do mainstream folks adopt things when kind of when they close to when they have to, like not yeah. totally have to, but they, they adopt things when it fits their priorities to keep working on their business. The people yeah. you're looking for now though, I mean, they're the early adopters. And what does early adoption mean? It means they adopt the thing earlier than they have to, yeah. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> they want to play with it. They want to understand it. They want to check it out. They like new stuff. Yeah. And maybe that's the yeah, maybe that's the problem you just have is like you're you're panning for gold right now and not everyone's an early adopter. So, yeah, you know, that's okay. I'm reading Seth yeah. Godin, Purple Cow, and it's exactly about this. Um, mm. So it's uh, very fitting. And uh, yeah, he calls them, he doesn't call them early adopters. He calls them sneezers. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. they spread the virus when they sneeze uh, okay. about the product. <laughs> Such a negative connotation. No, um, that's yeah. great. No, I, I, that's exciting, man. Um, Tell us a lot about make, me. Yeah, well, good good week. Good use of the time away from Matt's endless pings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels good. Like it feels like I needed a few days of reflection and kind of like get the big overview of everything and then back mm. to work this week hopefully. Yeah. So well, good. what's going on in Summitland? Anything <laughs> besides Turkey? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I did, I did the Turkey again this year. I did. Okay. I was disappointed with myself. Although I, I spatchcocked it, which is a new technique I've learned over the last couple of years. We lay it flat and it cooks more evenly. I was still disappointed with the, uh, the temperature I took it out at. So it was fine, but, um, Thanksgiving was great. The sides were all amazing. Uh, the Turkey was okay <laughs> with, enough, with enough gravy. Um, but the week was, uh, yeah, it was a lot of downtime and a lot of just relaxing and being with the family um still probably picked up my my phone too much uh, because i'm just kind of an anxious person in the sense of always wanting to the latest news and updates but i didn't get much i i don't want to say didn't get much work done i did not do much work i think maybe a couple times i uh helped out a user that was stuck or blocked or had an error um for the most part, pre pre Thanksgiving and then Thanksgiving, I think I did nothing, um, which was which was nice as it should be. Uh, the day after Thanksgiving, I think it was, fr- uh, yeah, I think Friday, if not Saturday, I got up really early uh, for some reason. Oh, I know Black Friday. So so my my daughter and uh, wife and other daughter um, wanted to go uh, Black Friday shopping, which is really just an excuse to hang out and spend time together. Um, and if they find something they like, you know, get it kind of thing. But anyway, they they got up and left the house by 5 a.m. on Friday. And so what that means I was left with the rest of the kids and the dog. And 
I was already up and I'm an early riser anyway. So I wasn't going to go back to sleep. I was, you know, I, I felt just this. So I have a different problem, <laughs> which is um, I am, I'm spending all of my intentionally spending all of my tiny seed money um, before the program's done. And some of it is not profitable in case folks didn't know that already. <laughs> um, and I think the revenue will grow and, and I'll talk about that again in a second. Um, it will grow as soon as I release the release the premium version. I believe I'll get some new subscribers. I'm really confident in that. I've got people actually emailing me saying, Hey, how do I upgrade? Cause I want the features you're talking about being the upgraded version, but you don't have self-service upgrades yet. <laughs> so, so like it's going to happen, um, but like still it is nice. That's really, that made me feel great. But at the same time, I'm still staring at this, um, incontrovertible fact that I will run out of money, uh, funding uh, before the end of uh, well when the program ends just about the same time and i knew six or seven months ago because i did the forecast that this was going to be the case so i knew that i was going to be yeah so i knew (laughs) yeah forecast weird yeah i knew there was a i knew there was a pretty decent chance um yeah it's funny i did a forecast what 12 months ago and I, i knew that Kind of in like 20 to 30% of the cases, I wasn't going to be breaking even by the end of the program. And then that percentage just kept going up as the program went on. And as I didn't release the premium version, as that I pivoted, eh, I want to say pivoted, as I decided to not go down the investor path. So I made some decisions along the way, which kept delaying monetization, but I believe for the right reasons. And what, what does that mean? It means that I, yeah, I'm on the path um, uh, that leads to not breaking even by the end of the program. And joining Tennessee <laughs> I, batch too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Summer program, <laughs> um, extension program, summer school. What do we call it? <laughs> um, but it, it's funny. Like I, I don't know if I'll be the only one in this case, in this boat. I think I, I think I, I think I won't be, but at the same time, I'm maybe the most vocal about it. Um, I, I don't know, actually, maybe I'm not, but anyway, I, I'm starting to talk to Robin Einer about this fact and, I mean, raising more money is the the uh, obvious choice. Maybe the the knee jerk reaction is raise more money. Um, I think that's Plan A. But at the same time, i I really don't want to dilute more. I, I feel I'm <laughs> it. I'm increasingly confident that Summit's going to be a good business and. I kind of don't want to share it more than I have to <laughs> with others. And so it's this funny situation of, okay, I'm, I'm going to raise money. At this, also, what do I know is I don't want to lose optionality. I don't, want to, I don't want to have to become a huge business VC style on this. I think this could be like, I'm going to release a premium version in the next week or two which is going to have subscribers. And I've got, I was actually looking up the numbers here while, while you were uh, chatting about your adoption as well, just so I could share. It's like, yeah, 625 signups since, since um, April, uh, 221 signups in the last 30 days. And what is this? Um, 195 companies have created goals. I mean, this is like real, adoption and my monthly active use my monthly active customers is up to 178 so like it stands to reason by the end of the program i'm going to have several hundred let's say 200 250 plus companies using the tool on a monthly basis 
like some percentage of those will pay. Um, and that's a really nice little business coming about. And I, I don't know that it's a VC business yet, but the idea of selling off, you know, 15, 20, 25% of it to raise around a funding and then have to grow it faster really doesn't appeal to me too much. Um, so I'm thinking about, so IndyVC happens to be uh, launching their next batch or uh, taking applications for their next batch. I believe it's on January 1st, is it? It's the first couple of days of January and they're only opening applications for 24 hours. I think I'm too early for them because they are solidly post-revenue and if possible, profitable, which I won't be by this time. Um, but I really like Indy's terms and I'm thinking about a fundraise for Summit, which would perhaps use Indy's terms as like the term sheet. Um, and what I like about that is it would give me the option of, you know, repaying, um, repaying those investors back through profit you know, in which case they'd be getting their, you know, let's just say NX return within a certain time period. Um, and at the same time, if it turns out to be a cash flowing business instead of a unicorn uh, or say VC upple business, you know, um, their ownership goes down in exchange for that payback, but they're still, their, their internal rate of return um, is still really good. Like they're still getting a good percentage return on their investment. So I, I don't know. Like I, I took a step back and I was like, what do I want to do? And the, the plan, so that's plan one is raise, maybe raise traditional round of money would be, you know, one A, I'm crossing that one out. I don't think I want to do that. One B would be go raise money on some kind of alternative VC terms. And I am interested in that. And then kind of option two is just don't raise money at all and effectively self-fund the thing. Um, which I think I can do for some period of time. And that's the most risk, <laughs> um, but it's potentially the greatest reward. And there's, you know, I, I'm kind of interested in that as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think what, what brought me some comfort over this holiday period of reflecting as well is just maybe crossing off that first one and saying, you know, my goal is not to go raise, you know, half a million, million dollars from a, from a VC seed fund. I'd, Knowing what I don't want to do, I think, helps me feel more clarity and focus. Knowing I want to release the premium version, you know, feeling good about that. Um, and then, yeah, just knowing that, you know, maybe I want to kind of create my own path here and um, do something out of the box. I think that's the opportunity that Tiny Seed presents us with anyway, is to have optionality. And I, I think what I'm saying now is just that I want to explore that um, a bit before I just do the thing that, you know, companies do when they're not profitable, but they have something with promise. It's like, Oh, go raise money. It's like, eh, maybe I don't want to just run into that. Um, so, you know, a little bit of a rambling thing. I knew we said before this started, we would see how it went on my update side, but I guess full manager mode, but more in a reflective sense as well, given the holidays. Yeah. It's interesting. It's uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to see what you decide on. I think, you can do, I think you have your optionality and I think you would be in a good position to do whatever you chose to do. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's a pretty personal decision as well. Um, you know, talking to the, <laughs> talking to the wife and family about, uh, this and my, my board I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just figuring out, I do know that I love, I love being in, um, 
solo entrepreneur right now. I love being a, I'll call it indie founder. Like the freedom that I'm experiencing for the last, say, nine months is just wonderful. And like what you said, on like to be able to drive out into the country on, on Friday, like I can't, I'm not going to stop doing that. <laughs> so, I mean, there's option three, which I didn't even mention, which is, you know, getting a job again. <laughs> but it's like, it's hard to imagine that just because, I mean, if it's totally remote and like I, something I love about it and I have to, like I, I could do that. And maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot because I'll, maybe I'll have to pretend to be really excited <laughs> about something at some point. Um, but like, I don't think I'll have to do that. So, you know, bottom line is the freedom though, man, the freedom is really, you know, I posted my, my values and motivations up on, um, on, on usummit.com. Um, and yeah, I, I'm just really ex- getting to experience those now. I have to be responsible. So I have to pay <laughs> all the bills and college and tuition and all the things that my family needs and, and that we want to do. Like we want to live our best life. But when you have the option of freedom, it's definitely so priceless. And, you know, I, I'm willing to take some risk to preserve that because yeah, it lets us do things that we might not be able to do if I go down a more traditional route. And that's not just going to work for somebody. Like if you go down the VC route, I'll say something somewhat controversial. I don't, I don't agree that it means you have to grow at all costs and you have investors bearing down your necks and all that stuff. Like I never experienced that even though I raised traditional funding before because I had good investors who were more maybe just reasonable and not that. But I think what happens is you have the money, so you spend it and you get a bigger, your eyes get bigger and you, your appetite gets bigger and you get, you get impatient with yourself, right? So you start trying to grow, you know, artificially and you, you kind of apply your own pressure. And so you lose freedom there too. It's like, I have to work. I have to work. I have to work. And like right now there's days where I'm like, people are signing up and you know, it's going, it's going well. Um, do I have to work today? I mean, if I have something else that I, want to be doing or need to be working on. Um, I just have that freedom. So anyway, uh, like you said, that Friday freedom, um, and I want to preserve that. Yeah. I mean, we need to remember to have fun as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's and actually I was touching on, right. With the things I want to work on. Exactly. 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 And and, and, I, I could easily find a job that would pay me three or four times what I'm making from running this thing right now. And yeah, it just wouldn't be the same kind of fun. Yeah. And I, I think that fun is where innovation happens a lot of times. Like, I mean, um, where I was listening to a great, really great podcast uh, over the weekend um, where Annie Duke, the uh, championship uh, poker player, who was also a behavioral psychologist and PhD and UPenn grad and all, all amazing resume. She wrote a book called Thinking in Bets, but she said that in cultures where uh, you celebrate victories and you post-mortem failures, what happens is innovation dies because nobody wants to be that person who's giving a full account for their failures. And what you just described of being able to take a risk with how you use your time on a Friday or how you use a tool set next this week to try something new. Like if you're in a culture where you have to give an account for how you wasted time on this thing, you're just not innovation. It just starts to, it just starts to, it dies. Right. It it was really interesting way she had to describing it of like, 
you're going to go the consensus route because you don't want to be, you know, answering for why you either a wasted time or b failed. But uh, you basically just described a lack of experimentation, and you know, to me, play is the avenue of delight for your users. Right? If if you're not playing with things, you, I I don't know how to get to delight through a you know production line process. <laughs> it's just Seth you know, Godin, I don't see it. Seth Godin, Purple Cow, he says that you know when people try to play it safe because you know they're doing traditional advertising or something like that, they build boring products. <laughs> that won't mm. offend anyone. And if you want to, <laughs> if you want the product basically to speak for itself or to market itself and have word of mouth and stuff like that, you build the, pur- the purple cow kind of product that stands out. Yeah, and uh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, last week I spent a lot of my time learning Kubernetes, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> like, I spent mm-hmm. almost all my free time last week trying to figure out that whole stack, and. It, it's not going to pay off anytime soon because it's for it's first of all is because I thought it was fun to try to learn it, but also it makes sense for me to know more about it in case I want to switch the build engine to like my own self-hosted thing. It probably would be built on something like Kubernetes or if mm-hmm. I want to pursue some of the staging side stuff that I was kind of like touching on a bit last week. And it's not something I'm going to do anytime soon because it would be a very big project. But I think allowing myself to spend a lot of time last week playing around with Kubernetes has already given me a lot of new ideas of like things that I almost didn't understand was possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of uh, kind of goes back to that. Um, and I don't know how they prove this, but basically the language that you learn growing up apparently impacts the thoughts that you not only have, but that you come naturally to you, of course, but um, someone even said like the thoughts that you can have, like the, the language that you know. So there's words for something. I, I studied Russian in college, so I happen to know like there's words for some things in Russian that there's just no English equivalent for. And like imagine having a native sense for whatever that is. And like having those thoughts though, that's very valuable. Even if you come back and you don't, you know, even if you come back to home base, in other words, in your mind, you're like, wow, I just, what did you just do? I mean, you literally kind of expanded your mind, right? So like whatever you did in playing with Kubernetes might pay off in a big way, connecting some dots. And I think, I think that's the, that's, that's where I've always found like a lot of delight can come from is when you learn along a vector that is not common in whatever space you're in. So if a lot of people doing CICD, for example, don't bother learning X, like if you go learn X and apply some of the things from that into this world, like breathe some life into it. Like it can be just really, I think be fresh. Right. And I love doing that personally. And like quick thought, like related to that. And I think we've, we've talked about this privately. As soon as you stop doing this, as soon as you decide to try to outsource development and hire a developer, that's when this thing potentially stops because you, you, mm. you've, de- you've decided <laughs> on your stack, you've decided that you're going to hire a developer for a specific thing that you've decided is the thing that you're going to use. And you have probably also decided that you're going to spend your energy on something different that's probably not development. And it's just, I'm, I'm personally not ready to give that up yet. Cause I, I have, I still have no idea about like what this is going to be. 
And I want to basically be able to be the person that knows how everything works and can play with it and try new things and experiments. And it's just, I yeah, outsources right now. <laughs> yeah, I I completely agree. This is a pretty controversial, potentially controversial thought. Uh, maybe this will incite more uh, <laughs> listener questions. But i I made the mistake. Oh. I made the mistake of hiring uh, people in the past who were very good at executing a certain, um, let's just say, maneuver, whether that's marketing or sales or product. And that is fine if you're at the point of scaling where execution bottlenecks are the thing that are slowing you down, right? But you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. And I think any, it's hard for me to imagine any startup um, maybe even in the tiny C cohort, I don't know if you can think of one that where this isn't true, uh, like our stage, let's just say, where at like speed of execution is actually the bottleneck. I still think most of us are um, kind of just, you know, looking in the dark for product market fit. Uh, yeah, some kind of breakthrough, right? And so what happens is, you know, we all worry about the plateau and, and getting to this point where growth stalls. I think that there's a connection between hiring people who are specialized and really great at executing something and that plateau. Like I almost think that once you have the ability to hire somebody who maybe executes really well on something and that is their that is their expertise, I think if you do that, you're kind of locking in a growth rate and not necessarily a, a compounding one, but like a linear one, because what he's basically saying is like, just keep doing that thing over and over and over again, right? Which is the opposite of innovation, right? You're basically saying, don't get creative, follow this recipe, right? And that can be okay if like there's other people on your team who are looking for ways to change that recipe, but you've also now created a risk where if you change the recipe too much, that person actually is no longer skilled for that. Yeah. Like you've actually hired somebody who's a short order cook and you, you experiment and find out your people actually want, you know, whatever lobster bisque, <laughs> you're like, uh, that's uh, that, do you know how to make that? And they're like, no, that's not what you hired me for. And that's really painful as a startup. But back to the point, like, I think that if you go, compare that to like Reed Hastings, he has this amazing culture, uh, PowerPoint slide deck. Um, it's just like the Netflix culture, but he talks about how they, um, hired, they wanted to hire people who raised the bar, who were better than everyone, not just in like a, I can execute this thing better sense, but like world-class people for the first, like as long as they possibly could. And like, I think that that's not three people, four people. I think hiring amazing people for the first 10, 20 hires I don't know when it ends, but like his goal was to keep going as long as possible. I think that's really important because those are the people who are going to be able to, they almost like they execute because they have to, (laughs) but they're spending most of their time thinking like, how can we make this better? Right. And maybe how can we automate this stuff? Like we don't want to hire a a doer to do this if we don't have to. Right. And so, and that's how I think maybe you keep your growth rate on a curve you know, rather than that plateau, because if it, once you start shoveling coal, how is that not a linear, a linear thing? And once you have a linear thing, doesn't that start to weigh down or slow down growth? So 
I don't know. There's there's my there's my soapbox TED talk. <laughs> I believe you can you can actually hire to do this in a startup if you're VC funded. Because I've been in my previous the previous company I work with was a VC com a VC funded startup, and we were six or seven people. And I would say three or four of us. Of course, we did some of the coal shoveling shoveling work, but we also we also were incur because we we hadn't found product market fit yet, and we were trying to find out what the thing was that we were actually building, and we we were encouraged to go out on our own and try like crazy things. And they you know they hired, and this is not just to like say that I'm a good developer, um, but they hired good developers. Like they didn't hire cheap developers; they hired the best developers they could find uh, in their local area. And um, yeah. and the thing is, we actually did that. But I think in a bootstrap startup, if your mentality is when I have 5K in MRR, I can hire a developer. And then when I get to 10, I can hire the next one or whatever. Like, that's not the same mindset, right? Because they have to pay for themselves. And the way they pay for themselves is to make sure that they do the same thing that worked, kind of. Yeah. So I, I put it in a different light again. I think that for VC-funded startups, the, there's a much brighter line between pre-product market fit and post. Basically, there, folks who are thinking that way say pre-product market fit, it doesn't make much of any sense at all to hire full-time people who just do and execute things, right? Because you're trying to find a better way to do things. You're trying to find the most you know, lucrative or le high leverage thing, way to do things. And so I think maybe in the bootstrapper um, uh, mindset or, or approach, I think what happens is you get sucked, you get pulled beyond that bright line sooner than maybe you should allow yourself to be. Because why? You want people to pay. But then before you know it, like you have paying customers who are mainstream customers actually. And like they have these really long feature lists where they just want you to build all these features and you end up with mainstream customers who have mainstream support demands. And so you need a support person. And before you know it, you kind of settled on a cost of business and a, and a way to going to market that maybe isn't great, but like it's, it's, it's working. And, and you were, you were in such a, under so much pressure to get something working you kind of skipped that you didn't you didn't have the luxury of spending some time incubating the business model to really i would hate to say fine tune it but like sometimes fine tuning these things like there's a there there are these um sensitivity points where man if your price is off by just a little bit this way you can't do self service or if it's off by just a little bit this way maybe you can't do multi touch sales and like if you're bootstrapping and living hand to mouth in that sense you're kind of in a hurry to just establish some kind of revenue stream in business, but then maybe the one you build isn't great. It's actually, you, you now have to feed that beast. It's the first um, one that's that actually was good enough. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first one that was good enough. And, and actually, yeah, exactly. And, and for a lot of people, that ends being consulting. And then what happens is like, they don't know how to get out of consulting. I don't think it's just a consulting versus product thing. I think some people have product businesses that are also subpar. But it's the one that they found that worked and like they took on expenses and they're taking on inertia and they're embracing it because it's working. 
and they call it like people are willing to pay. So they just kind of run with it. And I think that's the difference. That's what capital buys you is the time to say, whoa, whoa, I know you're willing to pay something for this thing that I have now. But like, I don't want to do that a hundred times. I want to adjust it and I want to do this thing over here a thousand times or 10 times, but it's different. Like you're not, your willingness to pay is not my North Star. And I, I think that can lead to, of course, you're delaying things and that creates risk because time creates risk and like you're, you're not making money. But I think what I've seen now is like people are just in a hurry to say, people are going to pay. I've got a business, hire a support person, hire a developer, hire whatever. And now you've built this kind of heavy business that's going to reach a plateau because it's actually not the it's not the strategic approach to the market. Yeah, I think that's right. So I, there's my second <laughs> rant. But th- these are these are thoughts I was having the week yeah, before yeah. vacation, and they didn't get out of the last podcast. But these are all my walking the dog thoughts that I've been <laughs> having. But it's um, and it happens as I listen to podcasts of other bootstrappers. So those that are listening, you know, uh, love to. I, I wish this was more of an open forum because I I just think that. The thing I love about Tiny Seed uh, is is give yourself the time to find it, and the it is a recipe for growth. It is not just somebody willing to pay for something. You know, it's it's a repeatable recipe for growth, and it it should be something that gets you to where you want to go. I mean, if if you just want to get to something that's making some money. That's fine. But like, if you have an idea in mind, like I want this thing to make $5 million a year, that's a hard number to hit if you aren't like really thoughtful along the way. Like you could end up with a $500,000 a year business very easily that can't get there. Yeah. You need Um, to grow exponentially like several times, right? You need, you need to hit many plateaus and you need to like escape from those. And like when people talk about escape velocity and stuff like that, you need to be able to do that several times to get all the way up there. Yeah, and and I think what the boot I think what bootstrappers should understand is like it's possible to get yourself into the innovator's dilemma at a at a ten thousand dollar MRR level. <laughs> like you can actually trap yourself into a really small business, yeah. um, just like the big guys trap themselves into really big businesses, and we all laugh at them because they can't innovate. Like it's hard to innovate on a business making. $12,000 a month if you're spending 11 and a half, <laughs> you know, like just keeping things going. Yeah. And, and, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a good, people can call it a good problem to have too, but I, I do think it's, it's just worth taking the time you can take. So apply for tiny seed ends today too bad it's gonna be over by the time this podcast comes out. Yep. So I hope you apply. <laughs> awesome, man. This is officially the longest podcast we've done. Um, related to this thing we just talked about, the Acquired FM podcast, which you kind of turned me on to, their private yeah. part, the uh, LP show, which is five bucks a month, is amazing. And they have a really good episode about product market fit that I really enjoyed and that I'm going to re-listen to soon. So I just wanted to mention that. So should we wrap it uh, at the 59-minute mark <laughs> yeah i think i shouldn't say anything else you got you you somehow you i got wound up late so yeah. we'll we'll, uh, we'll end the, it here the ones where we worry if we have enough to talk about it always the longest ones so that's perfect that's right awesome thank you all cool man talk to you later all right, all right Peter. Week. bye
Take care. Bye.